Genesis chapter 7, we're going to consider the same set of verses we did last week to begin with, but this time we're going to do so from a different perspective. Genesis chapter 7, let's read verses 21 through 23. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and creeping things in the vow of the heaven. They were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. So last week we considered the horrifying end result of dying without God. The end result of sin that is not under the blood. They had rejected God. The home had seen a breakdown in society. This led to the earth being filled with corruption and violence. Sin abounded. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he made an ark as God had commanded him. But the day had come when God was done striving with mankind as he had promised. And when that day arrived, God was no longer going to draw men to himself, and he unleashed his wrath upon an ungodly world. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that every single person was some bloodthirsty mongrel seeking to commit crime. Though the earth was filled with violence and the earth was filled with corruption, I believe a lot of people were just indifferent. I base that off of what Jesus said. He said that people in Noah's day were just basically living how they wanted. They were marrying, given in marriage. They were eating and drinking. They were just going about life with no concern of the things of God. I imagine that many people were ungodly simply because they didn't acknowledge God. They mocked God. They mocked God's messengers. They, they mocked God's method of deliverance. And we see their end result was utter destruction. And verses 21 through 23 are filled with death. In verse 21, all flesh died. Verse 22, all died. Verse 23, every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. And yet, this would not have been the worst part. You say, what can be worse than that? They would have died without Christ. And been sent to a devil's hell for all eternity. Rejecting God's free gift of salvation. Never being able to change what they did. I believe Noah's day was eerily similar to what we're seeing come to pass in our day. There's corruption everywhere. There's violence everywhere, it seems. There's a breakdown in the home. There's a breakdown of society. People are just going about their life, ho-hum. If I have time, I'll make time for church. And, and God is not in all of our thoughts these days. And if this is, cor- in a, correct, if this is in a correct assessment, then we're nearing the Lord's return. Jesus said, but as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. That's exciting for the child of God because that means we are nearer to being with our Lord for all eternity. We'll drop this robe of flesh, amen, and we'll be with Him. 
But if you are outside of Christ, that thought ought to terrify you. That God is once again going to destroy this earth in His wrath. And all sinners who have rejected Him will have their part in the lake of fire, which is called the second death. But the good news is there's still hope. Amen? Amen. Just as there was hope in Noah's day, all they had to do was believe the message and get on the ark. And all you have to do is believe that Christ died for you and God will put you safely into the ark of Christ. Jesus has already paid your sin debt. His blood can take away every sin. He endured God's wrath in your place so that you would not have to. Don't allow your indifference to keep you from a life hid with God in Christ. Believe God's message. Believe God's method. Well, we ended last week trying to imagine what it was like for those outside of the ark as the great fountains of the deep broke forth. The windows of heaven opened, the rains fell. It wouldn't have been long until those outside of the ark realized how foolish they had lived their lives. But it was too late. They would have realized God will not be mocked. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And their reaping day had finally arrived. As we begin today, I want to transition from outside the ark to what might be taking place inside the ark. The end of verse 23 tells us Noah only remained alive and all that were with him in the ark. Try to imagine if you can what was going through the minds of those who were inside the ark, those eight souls as God was destroying all of humanity outside of the ark. Though the day of God's judgment took the world by surprise, remember that it did not take Noah and his family by surprise. They had spent decades building the ark. They knew God's message. They knew that it was going to happen. And they had faith in that. And 1 Thessalonians 5.4 tells us, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. We are not in ignorance either. Amen? Amen. We know that God's judgment is coming. They knew what was about to happen to all those who rejected God. They had spent their time warning others because they knew of the judgment to come. And though the world was filled with wickedness and violence, don't you suppose there were those that Noah and his family knew who weren't believers? Amen. I hope you have some people that you're interacting with that don't know Christ. I hope you're trying to win people and you're not going to win the ones that are in Christ. And I just believe Noah and his family, they would have known people that were being destroyed outside of that ark. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? I'd imagine there were those they were close to. Those that they had prayed for and pleaded with as they tried to reach them for God. Noah's sons were grown and married, but they would have had friends growing up. They would have known people. I think about Noah's extended family. What about the wives of Noah's sons and their families? 
Listen, this was not just something where God shut them in and, and they could care less if everybody else died. Their family, their friends, their, everyone they knew is, is, is now dead. No doubt there were people that they loved and cared for, but they were shut out because of their unbelief and they died in God's wrathful flood. And I, don't know you, but I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to think they may have even heard their voices pleading to get in. Hearing them as they struggled to preserve their life a little bit longer. How terrible that would have been. No wonder John wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I don't think I ever fully appreciated the depth of that verse until our children started gaining their own independence. I mean, when they're this little, they do what I tell them because I told them. You understand what I'm saying? And now I know there'd be no greater heartache than to hear that my children have rejected truth. And if only those who are living in rebellion, who had a godly upbringing, knew the depth of the pain that their parents were going through, if they only knew the sleepless nights that they've had, if they only knew how much they have cried out to God for them to be saved, that God would be merciful to them just a little while longer in hopes that they would turn to Him, then perhaps they would get their hearts right with God. King David had a rebellious son in Absalom. And Absalom tried to take the throne from his father. He tried to take the kingdom. When David learned Absalom was dead, we read in 2 Samuel 18.33, and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. A rebellious son broke the heart of a father. And I know some who are living in defiance to God and it's breaking the heart of their parents. They're praying for you. They're pleading to God for you. They love you. They care for you. And they don't want the pain of having to hear you beat upon the side of the ark to get in after it's too late. And yet you continue to rebel. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is heaviness to his mother. Proverbs 17.25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Boy, it sure hurts to see family members and friends who refuse to enter the ark of Christ. They drown in their prideful rebellion against God. And no one in his family experienced what it was like to know those who were dying, however thick that ark was, that far away. And then came the sobering realization they were the only ones left on earth. Can you just kind of imagine in their minds how it starts off with this, this sadness what has taken place, eventually they, they realize that we're it. <laughs> hey, we're here because they were there. Hey, well, it made sense to me when I said it. They're it. They're the only ones left. Those that they prayed for would be no more. Those that they knew would never be seen again. 
And I'm sure they rejoiced in God's good grace upon them inside of the ark, but their joy must have been tempered somewhat by all of that death outside. I wonder if any inside of the ark ever struggled with the feelings of why God would spare them and all others had to die. After all, weren't those inside the ark just as much of a sinner as those that were outside of the ark? Listen, those inside, they didn't deserve God's grace. I wonder if any struggled with why someone they knew wouldn't accept deliverance. Do they wonder why they would reject so great salvation? And I bring this up because I know those who have truly wrestled with these kinds of questions. We need to understand we're saved not because we're more lovable. Listen, you're not saved because God saw some good quality in you. That boy, that would be profitable for the kingdom. We're saved because we placed our faith in Christ's finished work on Calvary's tree. Because God is gracious. Listen, it's not about us, it's all about Him. We're not better than anybody else. Outside of Christ, you plunge to the exact same depths as the world does. And then we need to understand we can't save anyone else. We can't force anybody to come to Christ. And when others refuse God's free gift of salvation, it isn't because they're worse sinners than you were. They've just simply refused God. And if you allow yourself to overthink these things, having talked to those who have, it can drive you crazy. You can arrive even at some false doctrines if you're not careful. You can arrive at some false conclusions like somehow you're worth saving. We got churches built on that doctrine. Like somehow God looked through the portals of time and said, that's the one I want, that's the one I don't want, that's the one I want, that's the one I don't want. You can get caught up in, in some idea that your salvation was somehow in part by your goodness. Be careful where your mind can lead you. Amen. So here's Noah and his family. They're safely on the ark. The world is being destroyed. I'm sure all kinds of thoughts are running through their minds. But at some point, their thinking would have shifted more towards riding out this storm. Is everybody with me? I know that was heavy to begin with. At some point, they've got to start thinking, okay, that part's over now. We've got to get through this storm. Look at verse 24. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. I don't know what kind of calendar they're used, uh, they use. There's people that have tried to digest all that. <clears throat> I'm just going to use a Hebrew calendar because it's 30 days in a month and that makes for easy math. Amen. So with that in mind, there are five months into this storm. Five months into this event... There's no end in sight. Are you with them on the ark? Are, are, you, are you seeing what I'm talking about? Five months already. I suspect Noah may have been given at least a general time frame because he was told in chapter 6, prepare enough food for you and the animals. But I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know. All I know is uh, we're going to look at it this way. He's going through a storm and he doesn't know when the end is going to be. He just knows that we're five months into this thing. And listen, five months in, get this, they're not even halfway through yet. 
At the very outset, there must have been a somber mood mixed with joy as they processed all that death against their own deliverance. But don't you think eventually the, the mood would have shifted to, when, when are we going to get off this ark? When is this storm going to be over in our life? I think they would have grown tired of the living arrangements. I don't know what kind of house they had before getting on, there, on the ark. But there were noisy animals all the time. Noisy animals at dusk and dawn. Noisy animals during the day. Noisy nocturnal animals. Shut up! I always wondered, did they have howler monkeys on there? Did they have to put corks in the beaks of the woodpeckers? I don't know. Just imagine living on a floating zoo. Literally. Don't you know it had to have that petting zoo smell? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm not touching that thing. The kid just walks up to it and hugs it. All the animals are eating and they're digesting food. I'd imagine they had to be cleaned up after to some degree. Noah and his family, they'd gone from being on solid ground to nonstop swaying of the ark upon the water. And there was never a change of scenery. How's it look out that window today? Water. Some of you like cruises. God bless you. I like the beach for a little bit, but after a while, it doesn't change. Do you think they ever got cabin fever at times? There's no television. There's no internet. There's no gaming system. Right? You with me? Even I spy gets old after a while. Yeah, okay. And just imagine how ridiculous the dad jokes must have gotten. And who knows, it may have even started out with bad jokes. Like when Noah finished the ark, did he tell his sons, you know what? I'm a pretty good architect. Architect. After Noah finished loading all the animals, did he look at his sons and say, now I've heard everything. I can hear Shem at night getting up saying, I can't see where I'm going, and Noah for the 600th time saying, why don't you turn on the floodlights? <laughs> J-Peth asked, where's the honey? And Noah says, check the archives. <laughs> Noah's three sons, they come to their mom, they ask for a sandwich, and she says, I don't serve ham. <laughs> Shem, ham, and J-Peth, okay. One son asks his brother if he can help him out, and he says, no, but I know a guy. <laughs> it got old quick. You want me to move along? I still got more. <laughs> they probably dubbed the dinosaur section Jurassic Ark. <laughs> and then as time went by, Noah dreamed about building a restaurant one day because he knew it would be flooded with reservations. Speaking of food, Adrian, can you imagine if they had to ration their food at some point? An archaeologist found Noah's diary, and it read on day 217, couldn't resist, but unicorn steak is delicious. <laughs> and, and listen, let's face it, they might have even gotten on each other's nerves a time or two. I know that happens to no families here. At least I've read it can happen. They might have even gotten delusional. Deluge, you know? All right, anyway. 
I think God timed all this so that no children were on the ark for a purpose. I mean, can't you hear the children? Are we on dry land yet? So help me, you ask me one more time. I'm going to teach you how to swim right now. Hey, listen, for crying out loud, there were three ladies on there with, her, with their mother-in-law. And I don't know if Noah's wife was the kind of mother-in-law, you know. That's not how they like it. This is how you, this is how you do it. All kidding aside. In all seriousness, you understand what I'm saying, right? Listen, these were real people. They had real problems, real stresses, real sadness, major adjustments. They couldn't get away from it. They couldn't make it go away. And in verse 24, they are only five months in, or more accurately, they're 157 days in because the way I read it is seven days before they were uh, told to enter the ark. And spoiler alert, using the Hebrew calendar, they're going to spend 377 days upon that ark. Did you hear what I said? Let's just put it this way. They're going to spend a year on a floating zoo. 377 days closed up inside the ark with each other and with all the animals. Now you can calculate that by taking verse 11 when the storm began in the 600th year of the second month and the 17th day of Noah's life and then uh, use verse, or chapter 8 verse 14 when the storm ends the 601st year, second month and 27th day of Noah's life. According to my math, that equals 377 days altogether. So in verse 24, I want you to understand they still have seven months and ten days to go. If I missed you, tune me in. Have you ever been in one of those kinds of storms in your life? Have you ever been in a storm that while you're going through it, and I don't mean a weather system, I just mean life, and and as you're going through it, you begin to wonder, when is this ever going to end? There are times when God puts us through storms that just seem to go on and on. My wife and I are currently going through one of those storms. It's been about three months now. And, and, and honestly, it's to the point where I dare not ask what else can go wrong because I'm afraid God will show me. And I know deep down it's not that bad. You understand what I'm saying? Come on now. Let's get real. How many of you know what kind of storm I'm talking about? You're in a storm and you think you see a ray of hope. You think you're about to turn the corner something else happens. The storm just keeps rolling. You feel like I'm just along for the ride. Along the way, you begin to seek for answers as you wonder, why is this happening with such intensity? And so you begin to take inventory of your life. At first you wonder, is sin to blame? And so you you go to God and He puts His finger on something in your life and you confess it and you get rid of it, but the storm continues. Now you're at a loss trying to figure out what is God up to in my life? Am I to blame? Is Satan attacking? Is God trying to get my attention about something else? And you begin to wonder, Lord, what am I missing? 
what are you trying to teach me? If you would just show me, I would do it. Just make the storm stop. Y'all with me? I've had a couple of moments over these last three months where I've cried to God and I've said, Lord, I don't think I can handle any more right now. Only to find there's more to come. I think in one case, as I was saying that, the phone rang. And maybe you try to comfort yourself with the knowledge, I know God will never put me through more than I can bear. And I'm not being funny right here, but sometimes we turn to those refrigerator verses and we read those and and that kind of helps us get along for another day. But the storm still hasn't improved. We're still in verse 24. Seven months still to go. Listen to me now. After a while, you eventually get to the place where you wonder, is the Lord even there anymore? Have you been there? In verse 1 of chapter 7, the Lord spoke to Noah. And in verse 16, the Lord shut him in. In verse 1 of chapter 8, we read, And God remembered Noah. It's been five months of the storm raging. And it doesn't appear that God has spoke to Noah once, as He once did. Five months. But, but wait a minute. God doesn't speak to Noah again on the pages of Scripture until you get to verse 15 of chapter 8. After the ark had rested, after the storm has ceased. 377 days of being cut off from what we would consider normal life. Can I remind you, this is a man who walked with God. 377 days of being in the storm of his life. And God said, that's a righteous man. And yet, the worst part of all of this had to be not hearing from God. If you aren't used to hearing from God, then what I have to say right now isn't going to matter to you one bit. But if you've learned to walk with God, then you understand the joy of being in fellowship with Him. But you also understand the difficulty of being in a storm where you're not hearing from God. And when it's gone, you want it back. A few years ago, Adrian and I went through a very severe storm. I've never shared it with anybody here. So if you think you know what it is, you don't. I've never whispered a word of it, and I probably never will. It was, it, it, it was so bad, I, I couldn't hear God. Couldn't put a message together. I couldn't think straight. I, I was concerned. I told Adrian, i got to get away. It's miserable when you can't hear Him any longer. This may only be for a few. The situation itself was bad, but not hearing from God was worse because I needed to hear from Him to know how to get through it. And if you're new around here, I'm not talking about an audible voice. Right? Just talking about hearing from God through His Word. I had to get away. I had to get along with God until I knew that I could hear Him again. So I cleared the calendar. I got alone with God. God, 
Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. David prayed that in Psalm 63 in past tense. I want to see you like I have seen you. I miss it. That psalm is entitled a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Or can I put it to you this way? David was going through a storm in his life. David pours his heart out to God. I can remember when God was present in my life. I can remember when I saw God at the sanctuary. I can remember when God spoke to me at church. I can remember being in the presence of His glory. Sadly, some of you can't even remember the last time you've heard from God. You're so deaf to the things of God that it doesn't even bother you any longer. Going 377 days without hearing from God is no big deal to you. Some of you can't even remember the last time you've been to an altar. How sad that you can go without hearing from God and be okay with it. Now, I appreciate the kind comments I typically get after I preach. Nobody's usually a jerk and says, Preacher, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. Would you just quit already? I'm appreciative when people say that was a good sermon, Preacher. But what I really hope to hear is God spoke to me today. Because God is the only one that can deliver the spoken word into the heart. How pitiful that we can just jump through the motions. I'll bet you there are some here today who showed up and never prayed for God to show up. Did you pray that you would hear from God today? Did you plead with God to hear from Him? Did you pray for God's Holy Spirit to anoint the preacher? If you're in the company of those who just showed up out of routine, you've gotten used to not hearing from God. Is everybody okay? How sad that we can gather together and the lost never feel a need to be saved. How sad when the backslider doesn't feel the need to get right. How sad when the believer stops coming to an altar and seeing the value of kneeling before God. How sad that we can walk out satisfied with what we've heard and yet never heard from God. I hope you can tell when God is no longer speaking to you. I'll have to pick this up next time. We're, we're, we're out of time. But I hope it bothers you. Listen, don't be fooled by an emotionally charged service. Don't confuse that with hearing from God. You know if you've heard from God or not. Now you can hear from God through that. Don't misunderstand me. Are you in a storm today? Don't allow the storm to take you away from God. Don't get away from His voice. Don't ever grow accustomed to not hearing from Him. If you have to, clear your calendar. Tell everyone you know, i got to get away until I hear from God. So you don't understand, I have responsibilities. I have bills to pay. I have this to pay. Nothing's more important than your walk with God. Are you in a storm today? He has a purpose. He has a plan. Listen, I don't always understand it in my own life, 
I don't understand it all in your life. I don't know what our outcomes are going to be. But I know this, and please hear me well. God is trying to draw you to himself. Lost and redeemed, both of you. Your storms are because God is trying to crowd you to him. Sometimes it hurts. Amen. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes there's thorns that we are given in the flesh. Sometimes God begins to rearrange the eagle's nest so that the limbs poke us and and they make us uncomfortable, forcing us to fly. Have you ever prayed, Lord, do whatever it takes to grow me closer to you? Expect storms. And I don't mean a squall that blows up and blows out and moves through in a hurry, but I mean those storms that alter your landscape, that change your friendships, that alter your thinking, that change the way you live. Are you in a storm today? Does it seem like it'll never end? I'll say more next time, but God has not forgotten you. As I close, if you haven't heard from God in a while, then why not get that fellowship restored today? Maybe there's sin you need to confess. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe you need to just let go and trust God. Just allow God to draw you nearer to Him today. And if you're lost, you're not here by accident. You've come to the right place. We can show you from God's Word how you can know Him as your Savior. Let's pray.